Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. So today we want to continue on with our series called The Race. And the whole um, scripture passage that we're looking at is in Hebrews chapter 12. And the idea behind it is that this passage clearly paints a picture for how the Christian walk is not actually a walk. It's more like a race. It's a run. It's meant to be a run. Now, that sounds strenuous. Some of you are already feeling tired. I like the Christian walk idea, the Christian run idea. That sounds a little too strenuous. It's okay, folks. Listen, when we embrace God's plan, he gives us grace and strength. And I think that the, pic- the reason why he's chosen this picture of a run is because it has intensity, right? Now, I've since I was a kid, I remember watching the power walkers in the Olympics. Anybody ever watch that? Is there a weirder thing that you've ever... Like, at one point, I wanted to be that. I thought, I bet I could be in the Olympics and be one of those race walkers. I thought if I could do anything. Then I watched them and thought, no, I don't want to look that weird, right? Because <laughs> it does look weird. But, but the reality is there's an intensity about running. There's an intensity to the Christian Christian walk, here I'm using the same term, but there is an intensity to serving God. So here's what Hebrews 12 says, uh, verse 1 to 3 is what I want to quote. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, last week we looked at Hebrews 11 and all the great heroes of faith that are there to inspire us and to encourage us in our, in our race. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Isn't that true? Sin easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart here here's the encouraging part of this passage Part of the, the goal of this passage is so you and I won't grow weary and lose heart. The implication is that when we're Christians, when we're serving God, trying to follow him, there are times when we can come, become weary, we've all been there, and even lose heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the concept of losing heart is the worst thing. Because if you and I are living and we lose hope, we lose heart, we lose the drive that keeps us wanting to move forward, that's a really sad existence. That's where we just kind of let the hands hang down and we just go through life. And God doesn't want that. And so when we look at these pass- this passage and as we break it out, it's going to encourage us so that we won't grow weary, we won't lose heart. So here's a few quick things from last week and then I'll move on to new content. The first thing we looked at last week is that this passage gives us a goal and a purpose. And I talked about how we're not tourists. Christians aren't tourists. We don't go out and then come back to the hotel at night, right? We're on a journey, we're on that road, and we're continuing on. We're not just kind of playing at being a Christian. At least we're not supposed to. We're, we're, we have a purpose, we have a destiny. Secondly, we have inspiration. We looked at that whole picture of there's a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. And we talked about how really it's, it's, it's a metaphorical picture more than an actual picture. Uh, it's metaphorical in the sense of all these Hebrews 11, all these people that have gone ahead of us, they're inspirations to us. They're meant to inspire us in our race to say, you know, the Apostle Paul and 
and all those Old Testament saints. I want to I wanna be like them. I want to run my lap like they ran their lap. We have inspiration to be those who run in this race. And then lastly, we looked at how we have a responsibility to grow. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul, the apostle, uses this, this same picture. He says, uh, do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, there's something to be contended for. There's something worth training for and almost competing for. And so we looked at that. and we, The challenge was, what are we training for this year? What is, do we want to grow? Is there a heart in us to grow and to become more like Jesus? Because there's a big picture, right? So th- that's last week. So today I want to continue on here. And, and today's message is called Throwing Off What Hinders. And it's right here in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I like what it says in the message paraphrase. Here's what it says. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. I like that, parasitic sins. Parasites just feed off of you, right? And so sin feeds off of us. It's like the enemy feeding off of our lives, taking our strength away. No parasitic sins, no extra spiritual fat. I don't know about you, but New Year is always a time. Do you notice how many, um, you know, advertisements are on TV for like weight, you know, gyms and weight loss equipment? Hey, starts right after January 1st. Why? Well, because we've all been eating a lot, right? And so, you know, and then all those thigh masters are bought in January and never used again. Now, I've seen lots of thigh masters at Thrift Village. Uh, I have. A lot of that equipment ends up at Thrift Village because people buy it, and then they don't use it. And we've all been guilty in some way of some of that kind of stuff. But the point is we want to lose the extra weight. We want to lean down. We want to be able to live well. And that's what we're challenged to do with this passage. I want to show you a picture, a video here, of someone who is trying to learn how to pull the baggage behind them. So, you know, this is talking about baggage and having things that weigh us down. And we don't want to, we wouldn't want to be doing that. But here's somebody who thought it was a good idea. Now, we laugh at that, and it is kind of funny. But that's how we can be in our lives if we don't deal with some of the issues of our hearts. We can be pulling along things behind us. He's carrying the bag. He's pulling the luggage. And I mean, that's okay for an airport. But if you were doing that every day, all day uh, in your life, that would be pretty bad. That would, that would really zap you of strength. But here, here's the problem. Push this all down. Here's the problem for many of us. There are issues in our hearts that are doing that to us, that are on an ongoing, everyday basis. We're pulling those behind us. And sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes we don't. Uh, realize, but then the Holy Spirit comes. And he says, look, uh, I want you to run well. I want you to be all that I've called you to be. So he lovingly encourages us to forgive, right? He lovingly encourages us, look, that, that unforgiveness you're holding, you think that that person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. You think that, uh, you know, you have every right to be bitter. You think that Holding that against them is totally warranted. But here's the problem. You're actually pulling that behind you all the time then. And you're wearing down your ability to run. 
you're actually wasting energy. It's a parasitic sin. It's sucking the life out of you because you're not forgiving. Now, we could do a whole message today about forgiveness and about the importance of forgiveness and how bad bitterness is. And I've done that in the past. Um, and, and we're not going to focus exclusively on that. But I do want to encourage you with something. That offense, taking offense, being offended by others, being hurt and bitter towards others, and then holding on to it and not releasing and not forgiving, that's you on the treadmill. I like to picture the treadmill too because that guy's not going anywhere. Right? Like, he's not going anywhere. He's expending a lot of energy and going nowhere and pulling all this weight. And sometimes that's what happens. And, and let me just say something. If you're in a place where you feel part of your Christian journey or your Christian walk, you're not going anywhere, then that would be a good moment to stop and say, Lord, why am I not going anywhere? What am I pulling behind me? What is anchoring me back? Is there unforgiveness in, in my heart? Is there bitterness in my heart? Are there issues in my life? Where I'm even offended at you. Where I'm even disappointed with you. You know, I watch Christians over the years, been around long enough to see those that maybe they've been hurt by church. Maybe they've been hurt by other Christians. And so instead of continuing to run, they pull the baggage and eventually it's so, so heavy that they stop. They just kind of, and they kind of just get out of the race for a while or it looks that way, right? My challenge would be whatever it is, that God shows you, ask him the question. Is there anything? Is there something you need to heal my heart? Is there something you need to set me free from? Is there, is there a, a sin that is clinging on to me? You know, the, 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 the passage talks about besetting sins. That word besetting, it's an old King James word. But it just means a sin that won't let you go. It, it, it has you. It's grabbing you. You know what I'm talking about. And you want to get rid of it. But it just seems to have you. Listen, can I encourage you with something? God wants to help you this year. Whatever that is, the, the, the challenge and the loving encouragement would be go to God and say, God, is there a way I can get rid of that? Is there a way I could get free? You know, one of the things that what we really, really want to do in this church is to help us in our race, in our journey, and um, help us to be healed, provide means and ways for each of us to be healed. And that's something we want to continue to look at and even consider for the future, how can we do that? You know, back in the day in, in Nesson Hat, we used to have different events that we would have that people would come to our whole church and we would walk through some of this stuff and we would deal with unforgiveness. And so I think there's things we can do. I think there's ways we can look at that and be intentional as a church. But even without that, can I encourage you to go to God and say, God, this year, as I consider this year, Lord, is what is it? Are there things I'm pulling along? Are there bags that I'm carrying? Is there weight are there parasitic sins that I want to get rid of? God, you, you're, you're greater than this problem. You're greater than this sin. What do you want to do this year? So that's the first picture of that. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit on that as well. About healing and restoration and how God um, heals us. Because obviously if somebody comes in and uh, they have broken legs, right? We're not going to say, hey dude, run the race. right? We're not, we're not going to do it and say, you know, we better... We better put on some casts. We better heal your legs, right? Because you can't run in this race. So there's a reality where sometimes people are so broken, so wounded, so hurting that they just need to really take a lot of time just to get, get whole. But then there's other things that happen too where you and I are flawed, you and I are weak. But God says, hey, look, as you run, as you go, as you trust me, I'm actually going to come and heal you. I'm going to take you deeper. And I know in my own life, 
That's been the case as I've, as I pursued him, he's done some change. I want to show you a clip here. It's an oldie but a goodie that kind of illustrates this principle. <laughs> run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Sorry, I always like that. And then they slow it down in the slow motion. Anyway, I think you get the point there, though. I, I, I really love the imagery of as he runs, as he's starting to run, those braces break off. Isn't that powerful? And then he's, and then he's going. And so I think there are times where in our lives, you know, we could be tempted. And I've done this too, where you say, well, I will wait until I am perfect before I do anything, right? Like I need 100% healing, 100% restoration in my life. And probably that's a lifelong journey. And I don't think any of us fully believe that. But sometimes we live like that. Like, you know, I'm just not quite there. But I think sometimes I've found in my own life, God calls to us. And he says, hey, use what you have. Run the best you can right now. But Lord, I kind of feel stilted like I don't have the best gait. I'm not the best runner. He goes, no, you, you just run with what you have. And as you run, as you go, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to break you free. I'm going to release you as you serve me. And I think this, honestly, I think this is one of the lies that stops the body of Christ. Because we have this perfection mode where we think, well, everything's good. I'll do it. And I think it's a, it's a both end. Like I said, there are things we need to deal with. Absolutely. And we can't run a race with broken legs. So we need God to touch us. But there's other times where God says, I want you to step up. I want you to run the best you can. And as you do, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to break you free. And you're going to actually be able to run. You know, I think in my own life, how over the years, God has done so much as I've stepped out. Every time God has called me, I've never felt prepared. Isn't that, can I just tell you that? I've never felt prepared. When I was called to be a, a senior pastor, I had never done that. Never, never done that. Led a youth group, um, done other things, and never led a church. And I wanted to, I had a heart to, and God called me to. I knew it was, we were meant to do it, and we did it. But I, I at first ran like that, I am sure, if you could watch in the, in the spiritual, it'd be like pastors running like that. He's not the best. He's trying to run. But you know what? As time has gone, God has broken things off me. God has dealt with insecurities. God's dealt with fear. God's dealt with some inhibitions so that I could run better. And then even now, you know, Val and I being called to lead the LifeLinks Network. That's kind of a big deal. And sometimes I stop and think, this is a big deal. And sometimes it's intimidating. I think, wow, can I do this? Do I... But here's the reality. I know God's again saying, Ian, you run the best race you can run. I've called you. You run. And as you run, those things that are hindering you, that are stopping you from fully running and racing are going to break off. Do you get what I'm saying? So there's this dual thing we have to deal with as Christians. One, we need to receive God's help. We need to receive his healing and on the other, we need to also respond when he calls us. We need to be willing to step out and say, I'm flawed, I'm weak, I'm broken, but I have something to give. And I'm going to give what I have. And as I do, I'm going to believe God's going to heal me. God's going to work in me. He's going to grow me. I think that's really a cool picture for us. And, you know, the, when it comes to the race, I want to introduce another concept into the mix here. Kind of threading in some, some perspectives. And that's the concept of what it means to be a forerunner. And, you know, last week I talked about in Hebrews 11, all those people that had gone on ahead of us, right, who, who were great examples of the faith. And the reality is those people are what we would call forerunners. 
all those people listen to Hebrews 11, and I won't list them again, but if you want to go home and look at them, all the, the mighty men and women of God that are listed there, go back over them. They, they were ahead of us. They've come ahead of us. Paul the Apostle's ahead of us. All those who have gone on before us in the faith, they're forerunners. They ran ahead of us, and, and they laid down their race, and now it's our turn. They've gone on ahead of us. Do you know who the greatest forerunner is? Jesus. Look at Hebrews 6. I want to read this to you. This is such a great passage. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a really exciting concept. The Bible says Jesus is our forerunner. He went ahead of us and he prepared the way for us. In fact, he's entered heaven now. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. His work on the cross has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and to have access to all the blessings. He went ahead of us. He's a forerunner. Let me, let me show you what a forerunner is. It's a person or thing that precedes the coming or development of someone or something else. Precedes the coming or the development of someone or something else. So John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus to be able to come and have his ministry. And, uh, you know, sometimes, to be honest, a forerunner role is not that exciting. Think about John the Baptist. You know, he lost his head over it. Like, seriously, he, he did. He, he went to prison. I mean, his forerunner work was a bit tough. But he prepared the way for Jesus to come. Then Jesus prepares the way for us. When he died on the cross, when he sacrificed himself, he went ahead of us into heaven. Now he's our forerunner. See how that works? And so here's the exciting part of this. You and I are called to also be forerunners. You and I are called to also be people that go ahead of others to prepare the way for them to meet Jesus. Now, now think of this for a minute. This, this is both a, an exciting and a challenging role. It's exciting and honoring because to be a forerunner for others, to go ahead of others and actually guide them to Jesus is, is a high call. Would you agree me, with me on that? It is. But the challenge is it's actually sacrificial, right? It actually requires sacrifice on our part. It, it, it's not always easy to go ahead of other people and prepare the way for Jesus to come. But it is, it is something you and I have the opportunity to do. In our race, if you think about this, Back to the race picture, in our race, we have the opportunity to go ahead of others, to set the pace for them, to help them to find their entrance into the race. So how can we do this? How can we be forerunners? I'm going to give you three ways. Okay, you ready? Because I'm sensing you're clamoring for these three ways. Like I'm, you're just like, Ian, tell us how, please. Well, I'm going to tell you, all right? The first one is this, pray. Now, now, prayer always sounds, you know, kind of like, well, if you can't do anything else, you can pray. Well, can I just say something? Start with praying. <laughs> right? Start with praying. Too often, I've done some own life. I've done things and wanted to step out, and then I've, like, prayed later. Like, oh, God, uh, help what I'm doing. Right? Because <laughs> I think I screwed up. Right? Like, and that's bad. You should pray on the front end. Here, here's some things to pray for. Are you ready? If, if. If we want, pray Luke 10, verse 2. He told them the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers 
into his harvest field. You know, one of the things we're challenged and encouraged to pray about is that God would send other people out into the field to reach those that we care about. You know, I, I, when I pray for my relatives, and, you know, pretty much, uh, except for one of my relatives, the rest don't know Christ yet. And so it's heavy on my heart. But when I pray for them, what I pray for is obviously that I'd have an opportunity to be able to minister to them. But I also pray that God would put harvesters and workers in their fields, right? They're, they're in jobs. They're in neighborhoods. They live in parts of Canada. And so wherever they live, God, send workers, send people across their path who are going to speak to my, my relatives about you, right? Send Workers, send harvesters, right? I think that is something we can pray for. And, and let me just want to lovingly encourage you. It doesn't matter how challenging that person might be. You know, we, we all have people, I'm sure, that we know who are friends or relatives, and we'd say, man, they are tough, right? Like if that person comes to know Jesus, that's going to be like a major deal. Well, can I just tell you something? God is into major deals, right? He is not, he is not unable. And let me just challenge you with something. When you and I give up on people, we are not acting like God because he doesn't until that last breath is gone. His heart is for the lost person to come to him. So I want to lovingly encourage us. We can pray. Lord, send workers into the harvest field. Look at Romans 10. This is Paul. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites as that they may be saved. My desire and prayer for his own people. These are his people. He says, for my people, for my family, my heart's desire is that they would know you. Paul had a passion. I like Ephesians 6.20. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's a prayer we can all pray for ourselves. I, and we pray that regularly. God, when I have an opportunity to share your love with somebody, Help me to declare it fearlessly. Help me to be bold in that moment. That moment when I might normally choke and just mm, kind of close my mouth and not say anything. God, help me to in that moment say something. Help me be wise. I don't want to be belligerent or whatever. But Lord, help me fearlessly declare the gospel. Because let me ask you something. What do you think is the biggest drawback for Christians to share their faith? What is the biggest drawback? Rejection. And that comes out of a fear of rejection, right? We all deal with it. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to have people, you know, say, I disagree with you. Nobody likes that. And yet Paul's saying, help me declare it boldly. Help me get through that. And then I like this one, Colossians 4, 3. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message. That God may open a door for our message so we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. Let, let me just say something. That relative, that friend, that neighbor, there might not be an open door right now right? You, you might say, you know, the door's pretty closed. So here's the thing. Pray for the door to open. Pray for the door to open. God, open the door. God, touch their heart. You know, sometimes, this is sad, but sometimes calamity comes to people. Difficult times, and they're open. Now, we don't want to pray for difficult times, but my heart is, Lord, whatever it takes. <laughs> God, whatever you need to do in this person's life, whatever you need to allow, because they need to know you and their need of you on this side of eternity, not the other side. You know, I'd rather that they have a little buffeting now in their life and need Jesus now than to have a perfectly good life and just go to hell. 
It's awful, right? And so all I'm saying is I'm not praying calamity. I'm just saying, God, open a door. God, open a door. I encourage you. And then the last scripture I want to read is Colossians 4.12. And I love this passage. It's a man named Epaphras. Are there any Epaphrases you've ever run into? <laughs> this is my son Epaphras. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. Anyway, so, no, he's a good guy, though. I mean, we should be naming her. Anyway, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Listen to this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Wow wrestling in prayer for you that you would stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Wrestling in prayer. You know, I ponder that. Lord, what, what would it mean for me to wrestle in prayer for somebody else? What is that? Because that's intense, right? Like a, a wrestler. I mean, if, if you took their, their era, they would understand that because they had wrestling. And so there's intensity of wrestling in prayer. You're, you're against a foe. You're, you're competing, you know, and, and there's something. And so you're coming against an enemy, wrestling in prayer. You know, the bottom line with this is I just think the word would be intentional for all of us. Intentional. You know, someone who was super intentional was a guy named Dwight Al Moody. Anybody ever heard of Dwight Moody? Moody Bible Institute, he founded that. Great leader in the early 1900s in Chicago. Um, he prayed daily for a hundred of his friends to come to know Christ. A hundred. Daily. It took a while, right? A hundred. And two things. One, that's a big list. Two, he had a lot of friends. Like he, he was a, he knew people. During his life, 96 of those friends gave their lives to Christ. And at his funeral, the final four gave their lives. Wow. 96 during his life. And at his funeral, when he died... The four that were resisting finally gave in. 100 people. And you know, you think about how his prayers made a difference. Do you think his prayers made a difference? Do you think that consistent bringing them before God? I don't know how he prayed for them every day, whether it was just a simple line like, God, I pray for this person, my friend, that you would touch him today, speak to him. I don't know. I don't know whether he wrestled in prayer sometimes where he felt a burden for somebody and he just really went after it. I don't know. But he marked out 100 people, and God answered. Do you see the power of prayer here? I want to challenge you and encourage you to be a forerunner in prayer. Go ahead of other people in prayer, because God wants to use you. Number two is serve. So pray. You can be a forerunner by praying. You can be a forerunner by serving, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See your good deeds and glorify your Father, right? That's, that's kind of the goal we're supposed to have. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Wow, so even those that disagree with you, even those that aren't godly, even those that, but when they see your life, they go, you know, I don't like what he or she believes. I don't believe it. I don't really like that person, but, Man, so consistent, has so, such integrity and cares. I have to admit that there's something to this thing with God, right? That's the picture. Serving prepares the way. You know, I remember in our church in uh, Medicine Hat, the bridge, <clears throat> when we first went there, um, and I've, I think of it because I think of us being now in Martaloup, and I think sometimes of what the opportunity might be here in Martaloup. But I remember we went there, and we were on Dominion Street, and so highly cleverly we had a new 
uh, initiative called Taking Dominion. Yes, I know, it's just inspiring. Anyway, but, but what it was, was, was I said, look, let's take this one street, just one street, call it Taking Dominion. We'll pray for these people. And so we had one street. It went right past the church. And I, that one summer, that first summer, I went door to door through Dominion Street. And I, I met each person. I took a survey and asked them how the church could help them better. I was a new pastor. And I met with people. I shared the gospel with people's tables. I prayed for people. One family, uh, the woman had cancer. And so I started cutting their lawn and we started doing stuff to serve them. And then at Christmas time, we had a big banquet at the church. And we invited all these people from that street. And they came. They came because they knew us. And so we packed the church with these people. And then I shared a gospel message and we fed them turkey, and they were happy. <laughs> but the, the good news is there was a cultivation of relationship. And because we served and did stuff on the street and we're, we're, we're there, people warmed to us over time. Now, the unfortunate thing is the next, the next three months, our building was condemned, and we moved away. So we only had one season there, right? But thankfully, we were able to preach the gospel and love people in that one season. Then we moved into Riverside by our, our new building. That God provided. And so there we started doing other things. We did a thing every fall. We called it Leaf Fest. Every fall. You think that sounds weird. Well, what it was is Riverside, kind of like Martaloop, is a very old area. And so tons of leaves. Tons of leaves. So what we did is we called it Leaf Fest. And we would go and we would rake leaves for free. And I remember one year there was a little bit of excitement when somebody's cell phone fell into one of the bags of leaves, and we couldn't figure out where that was. Thankfully, he didn't have it on vibrate, and so we were able to call, and we found his cell phone. So that had a little bit of excitement, but we raked all these leaves. And you say, well, what difference does that make, raking leaves? Our, un, our unofficial uh, slogan was that our goal was to rake the hell out of Riverside. That was our goal. Hey, one leaf at a time, right? We're showing love. We're taking over. And, but here's what happened one time. You, you don't think these things matter? One time I was sitting in my office, and the phone rang, and it was somebody from the hospital. I thought, oh, who's calling me from the hospital? It ended up being someone who worked at the hospital. And they said, hey, is this the Bridge Church? I said, yeah. And, he, and I said, I'm Ian. I told him. And they go, oh, well, thank you for what you're doing. And I said, well, what are we doing? Oh, that leaf thing. Were you raking leaves? Thanks. That's awesome what you guys are doing. And I went, well, how would you find that out? Oh, I read the paper. I went, what? Yeah, no, there's an article in the paper. I went, okay, thanks. So I went over to the gas station. I got the paper. Sure enough, there was a guy. There was a, an article. And there was this guy standing beside his tree that didn't have any leaves on it. It was a bit awkward. But he stood, and then it, it had this whole thing. And he's, he called the paper because we went and cleaned off all his leaves for nothing. And he said, hey, I want to give you some money. And we said, no, no, we're not taking money. Uh, you know, let us pray for you, whatever. And so he phoned the paper and said, these guys are awesome. So they, they interviewed him standing by his tree with no leaves. And he explained that we did this and how amazing it was that this church would do it free. You know, and I sat there in my office and I thought, you know, it's kind of a rinky-dink thing we do there, raking leaves. And I felt the Lord speak to me. Listen to what he told me. He said, Ian, I highlight what matters to me. And I thought... Our raking leaves in this neighborhood, caring for these people, matters to God. And so he's highlighting it. See, sometimes we think these things are, are not big and they're not huge and who cares? 
People care and God cares. And it builds a bridge and it built a bridge for us in that neighborhood. People knew we cared because we raked leaves. Why do I say all this? Because when we go ahead and serve in ways that God opens doors, it opens doors in the community. Let me just throw an idea out here. What might be the ways God will use us to serve this community around us? There are people all around here. There's somebody right by the rink. Hi, hi, lady. Oh, no, doesn't see me. But anyway, there's somebody right there. There might even be someone skating right now. I can't see. Maybe you can. But there are people all around us. There's houses all around us. And so God wants to use us in our personal lives, in our family, in our friends, obviously. But I think he wants to use us here too. And I think this is part of it. So what does God have? We're not into making artificial things or just making work. But could there be key things that God will do in this neighborhood that this church will become known as they care? And it might be raking leaves. It might be doing something else. It might be something else even more practical than that. Who knows? But what could God maybe do? That's what I'm wondering. So forerunners, they, they can pray, they can serve, and then thirdly, they can preach. <laughs> now, here's the thing. You ever heard the statement, you know, what, what's the whole phrase? You know, uh, oh, now I'm going to blow it, right? I'm not even going to say it right. But the whole idea of like, you know, serve people, love people, and if, if you need to, say words, right? How, how, Joel, do you know that, that phrase? Yeah. Well, the one phrase I heard is almost like, the using words is like only if really necessary. Can I just say something? Words are necessary. Words are necessary. I mean, we need to love people. We need to show them with, with our actions, but we need to preach. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says this. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Foolishness. Some people call it the foolishness of preaching. You ever wonder why we do this? Why do we do this? Why do I stand up here or someone else? And give you a message. Like, why do we do this? I even asked that question myself a while ago. Why, why do I do this again? And then the Lord said, because this is, this is my way. When the word of God is preached, something happens. When pre preaching is powerful, preaching changes lives. And so when we proclaim, we make a difference. And look at Romans 10. Now, this is where it really comes down to all of us being ready and learning to share the gospel. And I, and I don't say this to, to put pressure on you, but I just think this is so important for us to understand God wants us to be able to share. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I think... God wants us to be forerunners. When I say preach, I don't mean that you're standing on your desk at work, right? One day snapping and people are like, what happened to him? And, you know, sharing the gospel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just as God opens doors, using your words, using opportunities to share the truth, to be open and to bring in God and bring in his principles, preaching, sharing the truth, being a forerunner by being willing to take a risk. And speak into the lives of others. Now, all this discussion about forerunners, it, it really gives me a perfect opportunity to share something else with you. Because one of the things that we've been working on is some changes in our church. So, who, who was here the first Sunday in January 2012? Put your hands up. Here we go. 2012. 2012. Okay, see these people? There you go. 
These people were with us at the start. Give them a clap. That deserves something. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful people. Now, so we, we, we started off, obviously we've been connected with Church of the Rock in Winnipeg uh, from day one, and I'm thankful for it. I mean, I'm thankful for the Dows coming from Winnipeg because of that. When they announced it there and God stirred their heart, and we met them there a few times and they came and that's been huge for us. That's been a blessing. And others of you that came that night at the info gathering and anyway, and then others have come since then. So it's been really helpful for us. But over time, over the years, that connection has actually lessened. I mean, we don't, Mark doesn't come through like he did, and things are just different, right? We're not as connected. Geographically, we're quite a ways, quite, quite a ways apart. And so, uh, a while ago, uh, I was talking to Mark, and he said, you know, if you ever got a new venue and you wanted to rebrand or rechange things, I would totally understand if you wanted to change the name. I mean, he, he just told me that because he understands how that works. And he wasn't to be honest, he wasn't telling me to push off or anything. He wasn't saying get, get lost. He was just saying, look, I would understand that. And that was some time ago. And so we kind of kept that in the background over time. Well, then when we got this venue, then it was like, okay, it's a different moment. This is a different time. So prayed into that and um, just really, you know, felt that the name Forerunner Church is a good name. We shared it with the leadership team and others. And, and it just it's become clear that this is a good name for us. So I just want to announce today that we're going to actually shift and become Forerunner Church. We're going to be a church of people, and that relates to what I was just sharing there, about being those that go ahead of others as forerunners to prepare the way for Jesus to come. I think if we were a church like that, that had a heart for that, God would do great things in our city, in our families, and beyond. The other thing that really kind of resonates with the name is that because of Val and my connection with Lifelinks and because we are, um, you know, leading the network now and as a church, one of our goals coming here is we always wanted to see a church built and grow that would help other ministries and other churches grow and even help plant other churches eventually. And I believe that that's still in our future. And so in a sense, we want to be a church that is a forerunner church that goes ahead serving others, serving other ministries in our network, serving other people, ministries in our city. And, you know, again, some of that's still quite embryonic and, and new, but I believe God has it for us. So I think the name represents not only who we can be personally in our race, in our call, but also represents in the big picture, I believe, the kind of what you'd say apostolic center or hub that even has been stated we would be that we would minister. So I think there's a lot in the name that we can unpack over time. 